You're listening to Voice America Kids, now with 33% more active ingredients and no artificial coloring. Stars could shine between the lines If you would let yourself go Find some place you know You can use your words, use your hands You can change the world, just pretend Express yourself, take a chance and you'll see It's time to express yourself, where teens talk and the world listens. Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. Faith is taking the first step, even when you don't see the whole staircase. Martin Luther King Jr. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Kids Network. I'm Maria Wong and the theme for our show today is the gift of faith. And I'm Brigitte Gia. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions and brought to you as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. Please visit www.bethestaryouare.org to make a tax-deductible donation and get more information about how you can be part of our mission to increase literacy and positive message media. It's always the season for giving, so give big. Alrighty. So in this segment, we've got a chapter on the gift of faith written by um, BTSYA volunteer Danny Wong um, from Cynthia Bryan's Be The Star You Are for Teens book. And uh, Danny was a 16-year-old high school junior when she wrote this chapter on faith. And she really likes spending time with family and friends. She was a volunteer with Be The Star You Are, and she loves sports, photography, and traveling around the world. And writing was, and probably still is, her passion and she wants to make sure that a positive difference happens because of her in the world and hopes that her story impacts you to have faith. With that, here is The Gift of Faith by Danny Wong. Imagine talking to the person you admire most. Everything is perfect. Nothing can go wrong. This person encourages you to achieve, to be a go-getter in life. And when something is wrong, they make you feel better. It's almost unreal how this person can turn your feelings around. Now stop. The next thing you know, that person is gone. The fuel that powered your very purpose is stalled. The weird thing is, his body is still there. Nothing is the same. You can gaze into his eyes searching for an answer, but he cannot speak. It seems he may be lost forever. Where is faith when you need it most? That person was my dad. I was 15 when he had a stroke, and here is my story. My dad was away on a business trip, and I missed him terribly. We always had great times together. He taught me how to throw a football and took me swimming in the rain. When my mom picked him up from the airport, he was not himself. He was too tired to do anything. This was odd, considering he was the fittest person I knew. He worked out every day and had the abilities to do endless push-ups. That night, my dad went right to bed. I accepted this reluctantly, but resolved that we would talk in the morning. It never happened. My mom rushed my dad to the emergency room after he started struggling to form words and no longer had control of his right arm or leg. The doctor said that my dad was the victim of a severe stroke. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. No, this couldn't have happened. Not to my dad. 
not to the man who had a million friends, was kind to everyone who was a brilliant father. But it did. I found myself in a deep state of confusion filled with despair. How could I go on seeing him like this? He couldn't even talk to me. I soon realized that our long conversations were history. I stared at a silent, motionless body. It was at that moment that I finally understood the phrase, everything can change in an instant. The week before, my dad was healthy and strong. Now he was lying in a hospital bed, unable to move his right side or talk. Tears became a constant instead of a rarity. I hated crying, but I couldn't help it. How difficult it was to be going through such a traumatic experience as a teenager. These things aren't supposed to happen when we are so young. The pressure was enormous. It was challenging to focus on school while coping with this heartache. The hardest part of everything was that my own father, the man who taught me to live and dream, couldn't even say, I love you. I had to have faith that he would recover. Zuma had one year. Although our lives are not perfect, my dad's health has improved tremendously. We found therapy programs for my dad, and he was extremely motivated to get back onto his feet. He went through intensive neuro rehab, and within two months, he started walking again. Physical and speech therapy programs are influencing his recovery. Although every day is a challenge, we have faith that with love and support, he can accomplish anything. His goal is to fully restore his health. Through these difficult times, I am not alone. My mom, sister, and I are facing the challenges together. We know that we have a hard journey ahead of us, but we love my dad so much that we'll do anything to help him. I also am so fortunate to have an extended family and friends to support me. I don't know what I'd do without them. Sometimes the only thing you can you have to hang on to is faith. You cling on to it like a life jacket in the middle of the ocean. Faith is not something you can touch, but you can feel it all around you. Faith helps us sail through the storms of life when the waves swell so high that you are sure you'll drown. We believe in my dad's ability to recover. His conviction that he will heal boosts our trust in his resilience. Dad has faith in himself and we have faith in him. Faith takes courage and determination to make the impossible possible. In life, faith helps us overcome the biggest obstacles. All right, and here we have an exercise titled Keep the Faith that Danny has authored in order to help us find our faith. So here we go. We all go through tough situations. Whether you've lost someone close to you or you are completely stressed out, it's easy to feel discouraged. This technique can help you feel better when things aren't going so well. You have sent letters to your relatives and friends, but have you ever sent one to yourself? It is actually a very effective way to pinpoint what's bothering you and make yourself feel better. Start by writing a letter to yourself. Don't worry about grammar, spelling, or even how it sounds. Remember, this is for your eyes only. Write everything down that's going through your head. Pour out your emotions and really express how you feel. You can jot down everything that's worrying you or things you miss about a loved one. Now that everything is on paper, it's time to put it away. Seal the letter and put it in a safe place. When you're having a good day and feel a little more positive, pull out the letter. It's time to have faith. Know that even though it may not seem like it, things will get better. It may sound cliche, but it's true. Look at the letter and think about what you wrote down. Come to terms with why you felt this way. Now have faith that things will improve. With time, it will be easier to accept the past and look forward to your future. Faith invigorates our souls, energizes our minds, and shapes our dreams. Danny Wong. Oh, wow. This was this was a powerful segment, a powerful chapter that Danny um, authored and 
she really shared, you know, the experience and the hardship that she went through. And it must have been hard for her. And she did it because she wanted to show us that everyone should have faith in, you know, the future and themselves and those that are who are around them to really get through hard times. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think it's especially hard, as she said, especially for a teenager, when you're going through high school, you're sort of, it's sort of like a juggling that you're juggling all these things. And one of those things, of course, <laughs> super important is family. And mm-hmm. especially with her dad's situation and his stroke, I think she really does effectively highlight the importance of faith, especially in the most troublesome and hardest of times, because that's really what will keep us going. And along with the support, I feel like a friends and family who have faith in whatever it is, in this case, in their dad, in her dad's recovery. Mm-hmm, definitely. And I think it's also like, um, it shows that her dad, you know, definitely had her as a support base. I feel like when, when you're in high school, you know, you rely on your parents a lot. You rely on your mom and dad to be your support base. But I think what was especially difficult for her in this situation might have been that she needed to, you know, switch roles with her parents and kind of be there for her dad instead of, you know, her dad being there for her as would uh, a typical teenager, you know, a typical teenager would have that support base. And I really think that, you know, her resilience and her dad's resilience are so beautiful. And like, they like, they give me faith in humanity, you know, it's, (laughs) it's, it's a very beautiful and touching story that she was able to share with us. And yeah, I think, Faith was really a big part of that, where if you don't have faith or if she didn't have faith in that situation, you know, and if her dad didn't have faith in his own recovery and in his family to support him while he got there, it would have been harder, you know, on the entire family and their network of friends. And I I think, you know, it's just... Oh, man, faith was very important in this situation. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like it's so important in every situation, but especially in situations like this, which I feel like you really um, effectively say how it's sort of like she had to change her support base and really learn to rely on herself and her inner strength, which her parents, especially her dad, were really helping with beforehand. And I also feel like this shows how important faith is in changing a negative situation. If I feel like they didn't have faith in the situation, it could have been such a different perspective she could have had. She could have been really upset, confused, and angry. But by having faith and by being positive about this and being hopeful for his recovery and relying on friends and family, and most importantly, herself, I feel like she was really able to change this into a more positive situation than it could have been. Definitely. And yeah, I think a lot of that's um, in a lot of situations that we go through, you know, daily throughout our lives. That's, you know, something that should be implemented, you know, to keep faith and to stay positive, I think, are the two strongest things that you can really have on your side is to have faith in yourself, in the fact that things will get better from that point onward and, you know, to stay positive about everything. And definitely, I think it was it, it really helped Danny's situation to stay positive and to keep faith in those around her and in her father. Yeah, I feel like it's really what you make out of every situation you have. Um, I know for me, currently right now in my AP English Lit class, we are now doing a creative writing unit. And one of our first assignments was to write a letter to an incoming freshman since I'm mm-hmm. a senior in high school. 
And we were reading them out loud and just going sort of through the most important pieces we thought for high school. One of them really was just having faith in yourself and knowing that everything will work out in time and that it's really what you make out of it, out of whether it's high school or any situation, it's really your perspective on it. If you have faith in yourself, if you keep up a positive attitude, it really can change things around from where you think they may be going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And oh, man, this comes at a pretty good time for me, actually, because I was I was feeling pretty down today. Um, I'd, I'd like I track practice and I left my uniform at home. We were taking photos and, Aww. you know, yeah. And like the track coach is a little strict. So it's hard for me to like go up there and like, you know, everybody was like watching me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is the worst thing ever. But like it turned out to be fine. And like, it made my day a little bit damp, but then, like, I've been on this segment so far, I'm like, oh, my God, you know, I should have faith that, like, tomorrow will be better and everything will be okay. <laughs> so, like, this is this is perfect. I need to stay positive, have faith. And, yeah, definitely, like, I think it's really nice that you're a role model as well because <laughs> you're telling the freshmen to really, like, stay strong and get through high school because, you know, like, teenage years can be super, super harsh, and I feel like, we really, you know, when we go through high school, we really do need to keep faith. And I think that's really, really important once when you're like struggling and like grades are coming in and finals are getting, you know, (laughs) getting on your back and you're getting weighed down. It's really important to keep faith. Exactly. I really agree with that. And I really loved discussing Danny's story with you. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but before we go, we want to give a shout out of thanks to our volunteer professional web designer, Tim Barger, who has helped us with creating our new site at www.btsya.com. If you're looking for a great web designer, contact Tim. And to contact him, you can go to his website at timbarger.com. Support our show and these amazing segments by donating to the Be The Star You Are charity that brings you this program. For more info on how to do this, go to bethestarur.org and follow our blog. I'm Maria Wong. I'm Brigitte Gia. Again, there's more information at our website at bethestarur.org. And don't go anywhere as we continue our talk on the gift of faith. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. The longer you listen, the later it gets. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back to our uplifting, inspiring program. I'm Maria Wong. 
You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids Network, brought to you by the Be The Star You Are charity. For this segment, we're discussing the gift of faith. And I'm Brigitte Gia. Today we have author Kathleen Rooney on the show. Uh, Kathleen is a founding editor of Rose Metal Press, a publisher of literary work in hybrid genres, and a founding member of Poems While You Wait, a team of poets and their typewriters who compose commissioned poetry on demand. She teaches English and creative writing at DePaul University and is the author of eight books of poetry, nonfiction, and fiction, including the novel O Democracy and the novel and poems Robinson Alone. With Eric Klatner, she's the co-editor of Renee Marguerite, Selected Writings. A winner of a Ruth Lilly Fellowship from Poetry Magazine, her reviews and criticism have appeared in the New York Times Book Review, the Chicago Tribune, the New York Times Magazine, The Rumpus, The Nation, the Poetry Foundation website, and elsewhere. Published recently in 2017, Lillian Boxfish Takes a Walk is her second novel. Hi, Kathleen. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. So could you give our audience some insight about your novel, Lillian Boxfish Takes a Walk? Yeah, absolutely. So it has sort of a um, split structure, and it is about this uh, woman, Lillian Boxfish, who in the 20s and 30s was the highest paid female advertising copywriter in America. Um, And she worked for R.H. Macy's, the department store. And she's based on a real life person whose name was Margaret Fishback. And sort of the, the split structure of the book is set partly in the past when, you know, Lillian is sort of young and trying to make her fortune in New York City in 1926. And then it kind of goes all the way up through her history. Um, And then the other half is 1984, New Year's Eve, New York City, when she decides to take a 10, roughly 10 and a half mile walk around Manhattan and kind of meets different people and has adventures. Oh, wow, that's amazing. And it's, oh, it's kind of like a, it's like a flashback type thing, right? Where you kind of have those two split, like, Oh, looking back on the past and then like when you're in the past. That's really, really neat. And yeah, so, thank you. Like, wow, I'm excited. Wow, that's so good. <laughs> Just super pumped. Oh, so Kathleen, how did you discover uh, Margaret Fishback, who was, uh, as I understand it, Lillian Boxfish's uh, real life inspiration? Yeah, so um, that is all thanks to uh, my high school best friend, whose name is Angela, and she uh, was getting her library sciences degree, her master's at um, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and as part of that, she had this internship at Duke University, and she was working with the archives, and so she got to be, in the fall of 2006, the receiving archivist when um, Margaret Fishback's son, Tony donated his mom's papers to Duke's archive. And so, you know, what that means to be a receiving archivist is she was the first person to sort of process all the material into the archive. And then, because she knows me so well, as she was getting to know, you know, who Margaret Fishback was and her life, she called me up and said, you would love this person. She was so cool. Um, And another thing that she, you know, did and that I put in the novel is that in addition to being this advertising copywriter, she was a poet and she wrote light verse kind of, you know, short, rhyming, really fun little poems that would appear in magazines. Um, and I'm a poet too. And so she just called me up and said, you've got to come down here and check this out. And, you know, kind of long story short, um, I got a grant to do that and came down in 2007. And then, um, you know, writing a novel takes a while. Um, that was like 10 years ago. So I wasn't working <laughs> on it for 10 years, but it took me, you know, it took me 10 years total to figure out what I wanted to do with um you know, with the story. 
Great. Yeah, that is, it's definitely, I know, um, it can be a process when writing the novel. So how exactly did you get a grant? Yeah, so Angela let me know that um, Duke University, since it's a big um, research university, offers this thing called a travel to collections program. And, you know, other archives, you know, depending on how big they are or how their resources work, will, you know, offer similar things. And the idea is they, you know, as archives want to make sure that all the stuff they have gets worked with because what's the point of an archive if nobody ever access it. Exactly. So, yeah, so I pitched them and just said, hey, you know, this is who I am and this is why I, you know, think Margaret Fishback is somebody I want to study. And I just wrote up a little essay and sort of a project proposal and they reviewed it and approved it. And so I think I sent that in in like the fall of 2006. And then by May of uh, 2007, uh, they had me out and I just stayed for a week. And so it was kind of like this really intense sort of lightning strike on the archive and I had to just get everything that I needed uh, in a week. And, you know, now one of the cool things is I was the first person who wasn't an archivist to work with her, but I'm, I'm working hard on getting her work out into the world and have actually worked with the Poetry Foundation here in Chicago to get some of her poems online. And I just think she was this really cool figure who was sort of forgotten. And so mm-hmm. it's been really fun to kind of tell, you know, people in the 21st century about her. Yeah, definitely. You know, um, the the story of Margaret Fishback, or like, you know, within the book of Lillian yeah. Boxing Shakes a Walk, it kind of reminds me of, um, we just watched this in physics class today, we watched Hidden Figures. Where is that? Yeah. Kind of, yeah, that same kind of thing where it's like this this amazing, like, figure who, you know, really, really was um, extraordinary and really forwarded, like, women's rights and, like, was a figure of importance in history and, you know, just forgotten, like yes. lost within the archives. And you were able to dig that out and really bring it out in this new novel. And so changing tracks a little bit, uh, your novel is set in New York City, but you live in Chicago. Do you have a sit- favorite city to kind of walk in um, as Lillian Boxfish did in the novel? Yes. So I live in Chicago and actually it's my favorite city to walk in. I love cities in general. And, you know, the first thing that I do anytime I get somewhere, whether it's a small town or a suburb or a city, is try to map it with my feet by getting out and walking around, because I think that's the best way to really understand a place and, you know, the people who live there. But I think the reason I like Chicago is there are parts of it that seem really obviously good to walk in. Like, I don't know if you guys have been there, but you know, the loop downtown, it's, um, you know, almost like Manhattan, just lots of people and and tall buildings and, you know, crowded sidewalks. (laughs) Um, but yeah, but there's all these other parts that are, um, you know, just, it's, it's less dense. And so there's like, for example, my favorite spot lately that I've walked is way down on the South side, 87th street, right on the lake. Uh, Because we have Lake Michigan, and it's this old decommissioned U.S. steel plant. And so it Mm. used to be this huge working industrial landscape. And now it's, you know, just the old remnants of what used to be there. And so it's this gorgeous urban ruin. And they're kind of, you know, working on converting it to a park. But it's just a very weird place to walk. And so I guess I like Chicago because it's full of those contrasts. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I have 
I went to Chicago once. Um, not a lot of time to, you know, really do as you have and walk yeah. around the city. But that sounds incredible. That sounds, you know, I feel like you can get a lot of inspiration from a city just because it's a place where society kind of really works intensely and you can yes. immerse yourself in all the little workings of the city. And that's, that's super neat. Thanks. Yeah, so going back to your novel, how has the feedback been concerning both Margaret Fishback and just the novel in general? Have you found anything surprising so far? Yeah, I think, you know, for the most part, the feedback has been amazing and people seem to really, really like it. And, you know, for example, I was just in Vermont over this past weekend at this thing called Booktopia, which is this annual sort of gathering of readers and authors, you know, there were eight other authors there and we all were presenting talks and programs. And then there were about, I think, like a hundred or so attendees who are people who simply adore reading. And so it was just really fun to get to meet with them and answer their questions and see how carefully they'd read, you know, like with not just my book, but everybody, like they'd marked it up, they'd put probably like you guys you know, hopefully are taught to do and, and want to do when you read in school. Um, you know, and I teach my students to do it, but like annotations and, yeah. you know, highlighters and stuff like that. So that, you know, kind of thing has been awesome. And I think, you know, there have been a few people who didn't like it, which of course, when you have thousands of strangers reading your work happens. And I think the thing that sort of, um, makes me sad is the criticism, you know, any, anyone cannot like it and that's fine. But some people say something like, oh, I don't believe that an 85 year old woman could take this walk. And I also don't believe that she could meet this many people. And I'm not offended because they don't like my book, but it makes me sad for them because I think there are older people who can still do a lot. And so I think, you know, that's important to remember. And then I also think that if you do sort of let yourself walk around, not just in cities, but anywhere and be sort of open to new experiences, you really can, you know, basically like talking to strangers can be a positive thing. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Um, oh, I, I used to know someone a while back who would always, when she saw people in the streets, she'd make a comment on, you know, their appearance or, oh, that that coat that person is wearing does not look flattering or like she she looks like, you know, she's like really tired today. I'm like, oh, you don't know them. Like, talk to them. You know, this yeah. is don't be closed minded about it. And that that is really sad that, you know, they're focusing more on the logistics and about how like an 85 year old woman presumably can't walk that far and they don't, you know, look at the deeper meaning of yeah. the book and let's oh sorry <laughs> oh it's okay like oh. I said I mean I just I feel more like I want to tell those people like try it it could happen <laughs> it could be you Come on. <laughs> like 10 miles let's go you know exactly but, um I what you said earlier about like marking up your um like books and everything I definitely understand I got a copy of Grapes of Wrath and I really got into it and I marked it up and so when you're going to these types of gatherings um, and you're meeting a lot of fans, uh, do, you, do you meet young writers? And if so, what advice do you give them? Yeah, I think um, I do. And, you know, my best piece of advice is one that's, you know, you guys have probably heard it a bunch of times, but I think that's just because it's true. And that's if you want to be a good writer, you have 
to be a good reader. And, you know, you have to be a good reader in the sense that you read as much as you can. And it's not just quantity, but I mean, you should read all kinds of things. Like even if you think you want to be a fantasy writer, that's great. You should read a ton of fantasy, but you should also read you know, a lot of historical stuff. You should read poetry. You should read literary fiction. Or, you know, even if you're like, oh, I'm a poet, you should still read prose and like read magazines. Like you should read all different kinds of stuff because you just never know where that inspiring thing is going to be hiding. And then I think part of reading good, you know, as a good reader is like you're saying with your Grapes of Wrath, just not just the quantity, but the quality where you get really deep into it and maybe you Google stuff that you don't know, or you're looking up words that you've never heard before. And I think doing that kind of stuff is really the way to kind of turn yourself into a better writer. Yeah, for sure. I definitely agree with all that, especially I feel like it's so important, especially I feel like also for teen readers, because there's so many YA novels that um, are often so popular, but there's so many other great works of literature, I feel like that. Once you get exposed to from each book, I really feel like you get just a different um, just a different perspective from each novel or literary work that you read. Exactly. So unfortunately, we are out of time, but we are going to continue our segment with Kathleen. So stay tuned. Please be sure to check out her website at KathleenRooney.com. And that's Kathleen with a K. So K-A-T-H-L-E-E-N. And for more information on her and her novel, Lillian Boxfish Takes a Walk. I'm Maria Wong. I'm Brigitte Gia. Please visit our radio site at expressyourselfteenradio.com for photos, descriptions, links, blogs, and more. Also, please visit our charity site at bethestaryouare.org and watch our fun and informative videos at youtube.com slash bethestaryouare. Stay right here as we continue our amazing discussion on faith. Show the world your smile, be the star you are. If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and edutained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be The Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. On Tuesdays at noon Pacific, Teens Talk and the World Listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio on Voice America Kids. Come play with us at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. We didn't invent Kid Talk. We perfected it. And at a very young age, you're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Thank you for staying with us here at Voice America Kids. I'm Maria Wong. Our program is Express Yourself, giving youth across the world a voice to be listened to. Today on Express Yourself, we have the gift of faith. 
And I'm Brigitte Gia. Continuing the amazing discussion from last segment with us today is phenomenal author Kathleen Rooney. Her newest novel, Lillian Boxfish Takes a Walk, published 2017, leads readers through one woman's life, an entire length of the rope of time that makes up New York City and American history from one explosive event of the 20th century to the next. She teaches English and creative writing at DePaul University and has authored eight books of poetry, nonfiction, fiction, and fiction. And her reviews and criticism have again been found in the New York Times Book Review, the Chicago Tribune, the New York Times Magazine, The Rumpus, The Nation, and the Poetry Foundation website. With that, let's welcome Kathleen back on the show. Hi, Kathleen. Hello. Hi, it's again, it's great to have you here. Very excited about this new book and very excited to talk to you about faith. Yes, thank you. Right. And so we'll just start off really quick with questions. Um, So your book, Lillian Boxfish Takes a Walk, uh, how does it relate to faith? And how has your writing process uh, in particular, how have you been able to keep up your own faith in the novel and in yourself um, for finishing this book? So that's a great question. And I think, you know, in the novel, Lillian Boxfish, of course, is, you know, a character who kind of, you know, as I mentioned, was very successful. And she was the highest paid female advertising copywriter in America in the 20s and 30s. She publishes her poetry in all kinds of different places. And she sort of, you know, has the world as her oyster for kind of a long time. But then, as I think happens to pretty much everyone sooner or later, she kind of has this, you know, faith in herself and faith in her work tested. And, you know, I don't want to spoil the book, but, you know, of course it wouldn't be a novel if there was no conflict. And so, you know, she goes through some hard times in, you know, her personal life, in her marriage, in her career, and has to really try to restore herself and to keep being, you know, who she knows she wants to be. Um, And I don't want to, you know, simplify it and say, by being a good person, but I think that's part of it. She, she really has to struggle with not giving up or giving in. And so I think that's, you know, kind of how it figures into the, um, the novel. And then sort of your second question about kind of, you know, keeping the faith as you're working on a big project. Um, I think, you know, it's hard when you're writing a novel or, or doing anything long. It's kind of like a novel is sort of a marathon as opposed to, you know, a poem is maybe a sprint. Um, and so there's times <laughs> a good when you analogy. think like, thank you. There's times when you think, you know, is this worth it? Is this working? Is mm-hmm. anybody going to care when it comes out? Um, and so, yeah, so I think, you know, the the sort of thing that one of the things that has helped me um, through it all, I, I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout out um, to my husband, Martin C, um, S-E-A-Y. He's also a writer. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I think he's he's always here when I'm starting to doubt myself and, you know, really helps me, um, you know, not give up and keep believing in whatever mm-hmm. I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, I think it's... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no. All good. I was just going to say, I really think it is important while, like, being a writer dealing with anything you're going to do, you really do need a strong support base and having your husband, I feel like is such a great support base in itself. Yeah. And I also, I think, you know, not to get too advicey, but just since, you know, young reader or young listeners are, are out there, um, 
it's kind of, you know, similar to, um, you know, like the support base that you're describing, you know, a friend group. And I think that's another sort of thing that I've been really lucky to have. I went to Emerson College in Boston for my master's of fine arts in writing. And I met so many great people who are also, you know, they, they chose to be part of that community. They share the value of appreciating the humanities and the arts. And so I have people to whom I can send my work and get feedback. And then also, you know, when I'm having those, you know, kind of crises of doubts, um, I can even just send them an email and be like, hey, help. (laughs) And, you know, they'll write me back or, you know, call me up or just kind of help me not give up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And uh, we were we were talking earlier in the first segment about, you know, having a support base and how that can really put you, you know, farther along and, your support base and those within it can really push your faith in yourself up to another level and keep you going. And so I think it's really great that you do have this strong support base that you can rely on. You can send off an email and then get a reply back and have renewed faith in yourself. Totally. Oh, so great. (laughs) And um, so you mentioned that, you know, you you went to Emerson, pursued a master's degree in fine arts, and you're teaching now at uh, DePaul. And so have you always wanted to be a writer? Is this like a long term, you know, like going through from from childhood? Have you always had a goal of becoming a writer or is this something that came up maybe like later in life? Yeah, I think that's a great question, too. I think at a very, very, very young age, I did know that I wanted to be a writer. And, you know, my parents, I have to thank them because, you know, speaking of faith, they always had (laughs) and still have a ton of faith in me. And I think you know, I hope, I hope everyone can find that from somewhere, you know, hopefully from your parents, but if not from your parents, then from other, you know, supportive mentor type figures. And so one of the things that my parents always did for me was read to me. And even before I knew how to write or read myself, I was telling stories and, you know, my mom would record them on, you know, a tape recorder. (laughs) This was like way back before iPhones, Um, you know, and just would make little recordings of me telling these like goofy stories that I made up and, you know, writing down poems that I came up with. And so, yeah, I don't think, you know, at like age four, I knew what I wanted to be, but I knew that I loved words. And throughout my life, it's been something, you know, even when I've done other stuff, um, you know, and had more sort of traditional office jobs or other work, it was always something I kept doing in the background for myself. And so I do feel very, very fortunate that I get to teach at DePaul. Um, It's here in Chicago. It's, you know, a smaller liberal arts school. And it's just a great honor to be able to, you know, sort of get paid for doing something that I love so much. Yeah, and going off of that, being a professor of English and creative writing at DePaul, as well as being an editor, how have those two professions affected your writing process and writing in general? Yeah, so I, you know, I kind of split myself in sort of three. So it's, you know, I'm a writer myself, I'm a professor, and I'm an editor, like you said. And I think all three of those things really inform each other. And I think it would be hard to do all of those things if they were pulling me in very different directions. But I think, for example, um, I and my partner, Abby Beckel, on Rose Metal Press, like she and I founded the press about 11 years ago. And, you know, I work with her, you know, she lives in Tacoma Park, Maryland. I live here in Chicago, but thank goodness for the internet, right? Um, Skype. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We wouldn't be here if not for it. So, um, (laughs) 
she, you know, she and I work really hard on the editorial side of things, like trying to help other writers make their work better and make their books what we know they can be. And, you know, we really try to believe in them and help them feel like they can trust us and take our edits. And so I think, you know, for example, that helps me when then I'm on the other side and I'm the writer who's hearing from an editor who's telling me this works, this doesn't work, but you can fix it this way. Um, So I think it makes me more open-minded because I understand, you know, where constructive criticism is coming from. And then when I'm teaching my students, you know, when I get their work and I'm giving feedback, I try to remember how I like to be criticized and to try always to be, you know, kind in my criticism, not, you know, not to sugarcoat it, but to try to tell people what they need to do so they want to do it, not so they feel destroyed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I think um, it's, it's pretty cool that like, as an editor, you, you know, try to make others have faith in you. And then on the reverse side of that process, like when your writing is being edited, you then have more faith in your editor, you know, like telling you where things are going wrong and which things are good and which things need to be fixed. So I think that's really cool. You have like a little cycle of faith going on. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. (laughs) So Kathleen, could you tell us a little bit more about Rose Metal Press, which you founded? And I was just curious, do you find authors to publish or do you publish your students in your own work? Just some more information on that. Yeah. So um, like I said, I met, you know, my good friend, Abby Beckel, who's my you know partner on the press uh, back at Emerson. And, you know, she and I, as we were there, worked together on a lot of different literary projects. And we realized we worked really, really well together. And so as we were graduating, we decided that we wanted to start a press and kind of take all this stuff that we learned and put it into practice. And we decided early on that we didn't want to publish ourselves and didn't want to publish people we knew. Not that we didn't think our own work wasn't good or the people you know, who were our friends weren't good, but that we wanted to try to discover other voices and you know, kind of help people who you know, were writing. Our stuff is you know, literary work in hybrid genres, so that's kind of weirder stuff like prose poetry or image and text or you know, book-length poems. So stuff that's just a little stranger. Um, so we really wanted to give those people the opportunity to trust us with their work and to kind of build this brand of publishing stuff that's really fun to read, but that might be a little stranger than what people are used to. Yeah, wow, that's encouraging, like new forms of art, really. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. that's incredible. And so... Um, Going off on a little tangent here, I I read somewhere that a lot of authors have like specific times in which they feel the most inspired and it could be something weird like 2 a.m. or something. Do you have a time like that or like do you have a specific writing process that you stick by when you're, you know, working on your novels or working on your poetry? Yeah, I do. Um, I, you know, for, first I try really hard to be the kind of person who doesn't make excuses. So I know sometimes with, you know... <laughs> Procrastination. <laughs> exactly. Or being like, oh, I can only write at 2 a.m. Um, so I try not to do that. Um, mm-hmm. But if I'm being honest, I love mornings. I love getting up really early in the morning. Um, if I can, I like to be at my computer, you know, getting getting stuff set up to, to hopefully write by like around 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. And... Um, You know, I don't do that every day. And I think sometimes young writers can think, oh, I've got to be so productive or, you know, not just (laughs) any writer. Um, 
and it's good. It's good to want to be productive, but I think, you know, we shouldn't confuse, you know, you don't want to just be busy. You want to make sure it's mm-hmm. good quality time. And so I don't want anyone listening to think like, oh, she gets up at six every day and writes. I don't, <laughs> um, you know, because I have other stuff to do. I've got, you know, my my family obligations and I've got my, you know, job as a teacher and all this other stuff. So, um, you know, it's not every day, but it's usually a few days every week where I do try to be at my computer around 6 a.m. and and just get as much done as I can. Mm-hmm. I guess that feels like more fresh as well, right? Because you, you kind of start off the day and you have this whole entire like 12, 18 hours ahead of you that you can just yes. write and write and write. And that sounds, that's, I need to try that. Yeah, it's a beautiful <laughs> like, feeling. You're like, anything can happen <laughs> Yes, <today. laughs> Great. Energy. <laughs> now, Kathleen, do you have, I know you write poems, um, several novels. Do you have a favorite form of writing? Yeah, I think, you know, it changes. I love, I, you know, I write in all the genres and it's almost like trying to pick a favorite kid or something. Oh. Um, you know, it's, just, it's hard to say, but I think right now, you know, I'm working on a novel. So my favorite thing to do by myself is a novel because you just get to spend so much time in this imaginary world. And it's almost like playing a video game, except it's, you know, not a video game and <laughs> like, you know, it's all up to you. But, um, you know, that's my favorite when I'm alone, but my favorite thing to do with others is, you know, poems while you wait, which you guys have mentioned a couple of times. And that's where we go, you know, like this weekend, you know, it's Mother's Day coming up. And so on Sunday, we're going to be setting up at this sort of artisanal flea market called Dose Market that happens here in Chicago. Um, and there's going to be about 14 of us, you know, different poets who I know and who are really talented. And we're going to take commissions. So people, you know, you guys could come up and say, I'm Maria, I would like a poem about my mom, you know, and we'd be like, tell us something about her or whatever, Um, you know, or about my dog or just about the word rain or, you know, whatever, whatever you're into. And I think I really love that because, you know, sometimes being a writer can be so solitary, which can be beautiful. Um, But sometimes you want to get out there and interact. And I think Poems While You Wait is awesome because you really get to try to connect with people and hopefully make them happy with your words. And we make people laugh and people cry and people hug us and people, you know, get the poems framed. And I just, I think it's cool to get to be a tiny part of a stranger's life through poetry. Yeah, for sure. That sounds like a wonderful experience. Well, thank you so much, Kathleen, for talking to us. We're out of time, but please be sure to check out her website at KathleenRooney.com. I'm Maria. And I'm Brigitte. And during the break, be sure to check out our charity site at btsya.org, which stands for Be the Star You Are 501c3 Literacy and Positive Media Charity. There's more information under events at our website at btsya.org. Please visit, visit expressyourselfteenradio.com for more information about our show. When we come back, we will continue our inspiring conversation about faith. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. 
Sometimes we may sound strange, but remember, we're just kids with opinions. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us here at Voice America Kids. Our program is Express Yourself. I'm Maria Wong, and today's hour is all about faith. In this segment, Maria and I will be discussing the meaning of faith and how faith impacts modern society. Uh, Maria, do you want to start it off? Sure. So when looking at just our theme for today, faith, I, for some reason, automatically think of religion, um, just because (laughs) we often call it our faith and all of that. But, you know, faith, the actual definition is just the complete trust or confidence in someone or something. And I feel like faith is so important to me on so many levels, not only um, religiously, but also just having faith in myself and being confident. I think I said in a few radio shows back how my mom always told me to be my own best friend, to really be confident in myself and really trust myself for who I am. And I feel like that's just so important, especially for high school students. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think, uh, yeah, what you brought up about religion, I feel like that does in a way make sense and fits in with the definition because you've got, you know, complete trust and confidence in the central figure in a religion when you're part of a religion. And I think it's cool how like faith can be taken in so many different ways. It can be associated with religion and then it can be associated with, you know, just your own life path and where you're going and how much faith and belief you have in yourself. And I definitely agree that yeah, we like faith is really important in high school and as a teen because there are so many different factors in your life and so many things that are happening that sometimes you kind of lose yourself and you lose where you're going, um, especially with the pressure of college, I feel like. Uh, I know you're a senior, so... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can like, definitely relate. I feel like, especially during the application process in you know, for me, I'm just talking to all my friends and classmates about where we're applying. And I know where we live, there's definitely a lot of pressure to go to a quote unquote good or prestigious college often. And oftentimes you don't have faith in yourself, whether you're going to get into a certain college or not. But I've come to realize it really either way, first of all, you will get into college or whatever career path you want to go to after high school. And you really need to be confident in yourself because you've already accomplished so much in your life. And all you can do now is just really write these essays where you're really confident about yourself and your abilities and all that you're passionate about. And I feel like if you have that faith in yourself and that confidence, it's really going to shine through. So it really is important to have it not only to enhance your applications, whatever you want to do, but really also just help push you forward in whatever you want to do. Yeah, definitely. And I think sometimes it's hard to like, know look past the numbers and like not freak out about where you stand or like what's you know impacting your application and all of this stuff but yeah like um at the end of the day personally what I I try to like de-stress myself like oh you know I'm gonna get somewhere I'm gonna go somewhere in life I'm not stuck at one point and I feel like 
that's that's something that everybody might have to remind themselves of when they're applying to places and to colleges or to a job or anything is to remind themselves that they are going somewhere and like they they will be able to achieve whatever they're trying to achieve. Yeah, and it's really, really important. Yeah, I feel like it's really how you apply yourself there. I have older friend, he he lives um, in my town. He went to my high school and he was expecting to go to a four-year college right away. And unfortunately for him, or so he thought at the time, it didn't work out and he went to the local community college. While he was there, he started doing internships, was making these connections and really learned a lot about himself, even though at first he was really unhappy to be there. But he actually just really made it what it was and made it into a positive experience. And I know now that he's studying at Cornell University, he transferred after two years and he's really happy and it all works out whatever path happens, no matter where you think you might end up or you don't or whatever, it all works out. And I feel like it all happens for a reason and each experience really is a learning experience. Exactly. And like um, my my former debate coach, like he also did the same thing. It didn't go to a traditional four year college at first, um, went to community college for two years, transferred to Berkeley. And now he's working at Google. So I feel like, you know, in society and in some areas, um, there is this stigma attached to like the, the worst colleges, the ones that like aren't prestigious, but you know, in the end, that doesn't really matter. College is a place where you find yourself. There's prob- like there's no such thing as a bad college, essentially. It's just somewhere where you can connect with people. And no matter where you go, there's going to be people there. And they're going to be very unique and very different. And you'll be able to find out more about yourself and about how you interact with people. And I think when people are, are, are like... If anyone in the audience is applying to college or like thinking about where they're going to go, that's probably something important to keep in mind. It's just like no such thing as good or bad in terms of like levels. As long as you keep faith in yourself, you're moving forward and like, you know, wherever life takes you. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I feel like as a high school senior, you know, after the application process and starting to get the acceptances or whatever admissions <laughs> decisions back, um, a lot of my friends, you know, and myself were just deciding between different options that were very different. And, you know, it's just really hard to decide, but you really need to go where you think you'll be happy, where you think you'll find your people and will really just make something out of yourself because, you could go to a really, let's say, prestigious college, but be really unhappy just because of the atmosphere or just something's not working. So it's really important. And also, there's a lot of things to think about, but I feel like that's definitely a significant factor. Yeah, definitely. And like, um, I, I have a friend who like was worrying about this and she said, you know, like, I'm starting to get worried because I care more about like the atmosphere where I'm going to go and like, the city where it's going to be in or like whatever setting it's going to be in and like the people I meet than the actual college like stats. And I was like, no, you know, like stats, sure, they matter, you know, in terms of getting you where you want to be like goal wise. But also you do have to take into consideration like the place that you're going to go to and the atmosphere that the college has. And, you know, I was like, you know, I don't I don't think that's like super unimportant. I think you've got your heart set in the right place. You know, you do want to look at 
where you're going and make sure that you enjoy it before you go there. Yeah, exactly. That's actually really what it came down to me when deciding between my two colleges. Um, It was between a small private liberal arts college in upstate New York called Hamilton College and UC Berkeley. And I really loved both for different reasons. The academics were about the same, which I really wanted also. But it really came down to what do I see myself doing outside of school, the people I'm with, the different things I'll be immersing myself in. So I really do feel like um, once you get to sort of that where you're between two to three colleges, it really does come down to not only academics, not only rankings or whatever that is, but it really comes down to what are you going to be doing in your free time? What are you going to be doing with other people and how are you going to do it? So, yeah. Anyways, thank you so much, Brigitte, for this great conversation. It's time to say farewell, sadly. We offer thanks to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be the Star You Are, and our Voice America Kids crew, especially our engineer, Matt. Thanks to our guests and reporters from across the world, and thank you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. I'm Maria Wong. I'm Brigitte Gia. You have been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. For information on our creative community, go to btsya.org and our main site at bethestarur.org. Until next week, remember, be kind, be faithful, and be here. Speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself. Produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars that shine between the lines If you would let yourself